Please join me responsively in our prayer for illumination this morning. Guide us, O God, by your word and Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace. Through Christ our Lord, amen. Our scripture lesson today comes from uh, the first book of Samuel, as well as the book of Luke. As you can see on the screen, we'll be reading in three uh, different areas of 1 Samuel, beginning in chapter 1, verse 9 through 11, then continuing 19 to 20, and then jumping to chapter 2, the first 10 verses. Hear the word of our Lord. Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son. Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance, for the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full of hire themselves out for food, but those who were hungry, hunger no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princess and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. Upon them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked will be silenced in darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder against them from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king 
and exalt the horn of his anointed. Continuing in the book of Luke, chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in the inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Blessed be the word of our Lord. This morning we're going to be looking at vows. You know, think about what vows you've made, been a part of or witnessed through the years. A vow can be described as a solemn promise, an oath, a pledge, a bond, covenant commitment, some type of affirmation. In the church, when you think of vows, you might think about uh, the times of baptism, confirmation and membership, ordination, installation of deacons, elders, ministers of word and sacrament, vows made by individuals, parents, godparents, the congregation, promises made to one another, and to Almighty God. There are also vows in the secular setting, such as the political candidates when they take office. But vows are agreements and intentions that one makes to ourselves, to others, and especially to the Lord. When preparing for this message, I reflected on the privilege of also uh, officiating a number of wedding ceremonies. Uh, Jeff and Jan, I think about yours just about one year ago, and I've had the opportunity to officiate at about 175 weddings for uh, uh, this time, and uh, it, it is really a privilege. Many are in the church, and uh, I still remember one. I was trying to go through my record and uh, try to recall which couple this was that this happened. Things don't always go as planned, right, in life? And in weddings, too. You, you try to do the best you can, and... Uh, so anyway, the time came for this wedding. It was at First Reformed Church, Pompton Plains. The sanctuary is similar to this sanctuary. You have a chancel up here where there's some steps. You have a long aisle. You have a balcony. And uh, you have pews on, on both sides. So it's a very similar structure of the church. And uh, the rehearsal came. Rehearsal went. The day of the wedding came. And, uh, you know, it's a special time where you're really able to see the bride and the groom really close up. And you see their excitement. You also see their fear. And uh, so it came to the time of the vows. And I have everything written out, you know, word for word, okay? You know, you know how the vows go? To have and to hold from this day forth, from better... For okay, they wanted the traditional vows and, uh, you know, had their names, everything like that, because sometimes you, you know, might not for remember that. So the time game for the vows for the groom, okay? And I said, well, stand next to each other. Don't look at me. Repeat after me. And so the groom started. 
And he said, I forget his first name, I so-and-so take you so-and-so to be your husband. And then after that, I don't know if I had a brain freeze or what. Do you ever have those? Where it's like, I'm, I'm reading something, but it didn't come out. So I said something. I, it, it was all right, but it didn't make sense at all. And the groom repeated exactly what I said. Exactly what I said. It didn't make any sense. I said, repeat after me. So, and I said, well, okay, wait a second. Let's, let's go back and try it again. But vows, you know, sacred, special times where, you know, a commitment is made. Fortunately, it's, I don't know if it's on tape. I hope it isn't, but, uh, you know, so, but, but special times. And, and this morning, we're going to look at a vow that was made. There's many vows that are made in the Old and New Testament, but this one of Hannah has a unique element to it. But here's a couple other examples of vows, and there's many other ones. From Ecclesiastes chapter 5, when you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. And words from Matthew, words from our Lord Jesus. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep your oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem. It is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. And as I mentioned, there's several other vows if you look there. But this morning, we're going to look at that story of Hannah. And as Henry was reading, we, we could have read the whole first chapter, but uh, in the lectionary, narrative lectionary, they only pick out a few of the verses. And it starts, the story starts with verse 9. And really, if we backtrack, we would know more about the particular characters. First of all, this is one of the historical books, Samuel. It's in two particular letters, First and Second Samuel. And uh, it was a time where the judges were really ruling a loosely confederation of the Israelites, and they had the different tribes. And uh, they were kind of looking around, and they saw the other kingdoms had kings. And they thought, well, we need a king too. We want one person to really rule over and represent God in our midst. And you think about some of those kings. You think of Saul. You think of David, Solomon, and then there were others after that. But before Saul is anointed as king, we hear about Hannah, her husband, and his other wife. You know, I think about a second wife, and I don't know, I don't think that worked out well, but they really were doing polygamy at that time. So, uh, but that's another story, right? We won't deal with that. But we have Elkanah, who was from the Levi tribe, his second wife, Peninnah, and then the children from this particular union. Hannah was not able to have children. And at that time, especially, if a woman was not able to bear children, it was really a negative. And again, he married another woman, so they were able to have the descendants as well as economically had children to do some of the work, as well as keep the ancestry alive, especially if a son was to be born. We don't know much about this woman, Hannah. And not a great deal is known about a lot of the characters in the Scripture. But we do get a glimpse of her life. 
she was a God-fearing person. And she was honest in her request that she made to God. You know, she went to the temple, she prayed often, and uh, really wanted this request. And, and she made this vow that was one that she was willing to keep. And she said, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and not forgive your servant, but give him a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. Now that was a bold vow that she made. And she was in the temple, and uh, Cheryl and I were talking about this before, about this particular passage. It seemed that she was mouthing the words, and Eli the priest was there, and he thought that she was drunk. And, uh, and then they had a conversation, and she expressed, you know, her misery, her uh, depression of you know, not being able to have a child, and it meant so much. Elkanah loved her greatly and loved her more than the second wife. But the second wife was really taunting her with that, and uh, that probably even added fuel to the misery that she was feeling. But when Hannah had that discussion with Eli, she had a change of heart. And then he answered her, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She left that temple. Again, she didn't know that her answer was going to happen the way that she had uh, prayed for it. But she left, not downcast, but a sense of God's peace and presence. And Samuel's name also means God heard. You know, God heard her prayer. We begin the book of 1 Samuel before that birth happens, and, and Samuel is one of the great leaders of Israel. Today and throughout history, not having children may be seen by some as a negative it's different maybe today than in Hannah's time because some people decide not to have children. Some people are not able to have children biologically. Some are able to adopt. But at that particular time, it was really uh, being a woman for one thing, but also not being able to bear a child was really very devastating. Her spirit was downcast. And I think we can understand, right? I think I can. I, I know that and people I talk with to really sometimes just be downcast, to kind of feel that God is not for you. And also, it seems there might be an aspect of bartering. Can we barter with God? Have you ever said something like this? God, if you would only do this, I will. Or, please get me through this, God, and I will do whatever you want. I've prayed that. I've thought it, maybe I haven't verbalized it, but I've prayed that at times. But by God's grace, and let me underline that, by God's grace, Hannah's prayer, after years, was finally answered, and answered in the particular way that she petitioned. Now, one thing, we, we don't always get what we ask for in prayer. And many times that's good that we don't get that, and, and sometimes we make commitments to God and uh, uh, and well, we're all human. Hannah was human as well, and we all fail and fall short, and we need God's grace. But there's a sincere desire for her to follow God. There was a prayer that was written uh, by a Confederate soldier that was found on his dead body, and uh, I've read that before, but it goes like this. I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity 
that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men and women, but I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything that I hoped for, almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I, among all persons, most richly blessed. We don't know the name of the soldier, but to me that really describes a depth of faith and trust in God. Receiving almost the opposite of what one is requesting. You know, we can try to demand from God, you know, and, uh, but you know, that's not going to work. It's grace, humility, honesty before God. It's by God's grace that we're given life, made whole and saved, not only by our acts of charity and service and nicety, and our response is that of thanks. Too often we may believe that what we have and who we are is because of our efforts and smarts. Maybe we've had special privileges several others don't have, and we fail to be grateful for these privileges. To be humble. You think about Jesus' life. You know, the humility that he showed. The washing of the disciples' feet. The first will be last. You know, uh, talking with sinners, talking with outcasts, associating with them, encouraging them to believe in God. Later on in Samuel's life, he is open and listening to the call that God has. And he says, here I am, and available to God in openness, but to have purpose and love that we're entrusted with. Jesus fulfilled his purpose. It wasn't the easy way out. There was sacrifice. There was even the sacrifice of his death. Jesus chose not to save himself at the end of his earthly life, but offer his life as an atonement for all the sins of everyone. By his stripes we are healed. Each of us can still love, receive love, and experience God's grace through Jesus Christ. We each are called, forgiven, redeemed, and gifted by the living God. But to use these gifts entrusted to us, for life isn't always easy. Maybe today we're struggling with doubts, illness, challenges, problems. Life is not always fair. It's not in our control. Have setbacks doubts, struggles that push us maybe to the edge. But we can be confident, trusting in our Creator and Redeemer. Remember, the Lord is with us, even especially in the difficult times. But the final thought I'd like to share, and I think it's a really important one, is to be a grateful person, a thankful person, and filled with hope. You know, I thought about Hannah. Maybe she wouldn't be in the, the Scriptures. What if that prayer wasn't answered? How would her faith have been different? Would she have held that against God? Or would she be able to kind of rise above and say, God, I can't understand why this didn't happen, but I trust you. I trust in you. There's a psalm that uh, I used to know by heart, but uh, it's one of gratitude and thanks. Psalm 100. Know that one? Shout for the what? Okay, shout, just kind of testing you, just kind of see if you're there. And uh, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with 
joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God, it is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. A short psalm, only six verses, but succinct in expressing an attitude of gratitude. You know, that power enables us to go beyond whatever circumstances. Know that the Lord is with us. But I can understand that feeling of Hannah, especially those years prior. You know, before that exaltation of praise that Henry read from the second chapter. And uh, it's interesting that she doesn't mention anything specifically about that son that was mentioned. It was more about the greatness and sovereignty of God Almighty. God is with us at all times. We think of Psalm 23, which many of us know by heart, that God sees us through the valley of the shadow of death, that very famous 23rd Psalm. Even among our enemies, through persons that we would want to do us harm, the Lord is there. But being a grateful person, being thankful and grateful to God. Think about the Apostle Paul. Saul, persecuting the the Christians, thinking that he was doing what God really wanted. And then on that road to Damascus, he had that blinding experience where he's knocked off a horse and uh, uh, that voice comes and it's Jesus. And uh, his life makes a radical change. And then in the second book of uh, Corinthians, you know, he talks about that thorn in the flesh. And on three different occasions, maybe even more, but it says on three occasions, he asked God, please remove it. There's been a lot of speculation what that was. It could have been malaria. It could have been depression. It could have been, we don't know for sure, but there was something that seemed to be a hindrance in his life that God, if you could only remove that, I could do greater service for you. But that wasn't what happened. The Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I don't know about you, but I'd rather be strong. I'd rather, you know, really be on top of things and not feel like, God, I'm really dependent upon you. One of the jobs of the judges in the Old Testament before the kings were anointed was to try to encourage people and really to press the people that we're dependent upon God. Oh, they were kind of the military rulers too and also trying to govern and be judges like we know judges, but it really went beyond that courtroom type of situation. But the people kind of thought, no, that's, that's not going to work. But praying, and you think about that Lord's Prayer that we've prayed thousands and thousands of times. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will, not your will, but God's will. There's a triumphant message in the prayer offered by Hannah. She says, there's only one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. He humbles and exalts, raises the poor from the dust. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. Upon them he has set the world. So we are here today soon to depart from uh, the sanctuary. You know, help us to remember God's presence and care with us, and also that God uses each one of us in many ways. He had an opportunity to visit uh, Bill Galloway's mother before she uh, went on to that next chapter in her life. 
and uh, I've had that opportunity many times, and uh, you know, where, where people aren't able to respond, and you know, just try to encourage them and say that God loves you, God has a place for you, whether they can hear that or not, with those promises, and said that to Doris in uh, my last visit, and. Uh, but to remind us that God uses us in many ways. And uh, we always can have hope. It doesn't mean that things are going to work out the way that we ask. The other night, I don't know if you know this, but uh, I'm a big Chicago Cub fan. I'm a Chicago White Sox fan, but uh, they're, they haven't won the World Series since 1908. I'm not that old. But, uh, and they were in the World Series in 1945. I'm not that old either. So there's been some years where they've come close, and uh, there was a game against the San Francisco Giants in the playoffs. It, it went on forever. The game finally ended up at 2.45 Eastern time, and I stayed up till the end, and they lost that game. Okay. The next game, I'm thinking, all right, they can win this, and I'm looking in the eighth inning, and it's like they're down 5-2. to two. And I thought, well, there's always game five. And uh, so I went to sleep. I get up about 6.30, I'm looking at the internet. They win 6-5, to five and they said it was one of the biggest comebacks ever in history. And where was I? Sleeping. I mean, sleeping in that. So I, thought, so I played it over and over again so I could kind of relive that. And I'm thinking, you know, I guess I didn't have enough hope in them. But uh, how they talked, and, you know, things don't always work out the way, of course. But they had that, that hope. They had that belief. And uh, I know life is more than baseball. You know, uh, but, but think about your life. Think about others that you come into contact with, and uh, how can you be that agent of hope? How can you encourage people with God's love and grace? You know, how can, even when situations seem to be hopeless, that you can provide some type of hope, reminding people that God is present? Hannah's story is a meaningful illustration of faith, hope in the Lord, and placing trust in Him. Whether our prayers are answered in the way that we want, or really not answered, that's not the most important thing. It's the trust of God. God's purposes are carried out through history and centuries, through Hannah, through Samuel, all the way to Jesus Christ, Jesus who showed us his life in all its fullness, even to a death on the cross for us. But that's just a glimpse of Hannah's life and story. As Pastor Chris is kind of preaching through the different narrative accounts and, uh, you know, where we're going to see characters, uh, you know, Characters that are human characters, characters that are following God and some that aren't following God. But we also see our story. So when you read the scriptures, you know, it, it, try to put yourself in that situation. You know, how can those words be a model for our lives? How can they be of help in a greater commitment? We all make vows. We all make oaths and uh, Sometimes uh, we keep them, sometimes we're not able to keep them. But by God's grace, we can move on. The last hymn we're going to be singing is Great is Thy Faithfulness, and it's one of my favorite ones. You know, it talks about God's faithfulness to his people, that God loves us greatly. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new I just want to know if you're there. These kids were really, they were kind of wild a little bit, but, you know, mercies, morning by morning, new mercies I see. You know, may you and I and others that we come into contact know more of God's mercy and grace through Jesus Christ. Let us pray.
Lord, it might be very interesting to find out more about Hannah's fuller life, but we're only given a glimpse of her, her faithfulness towards you, her husband's faithfulness towards you, that answer of prayer that came in a miraculous way. Sometimes we are people that uh, don't feel that hope because maybe our requests, many of them, do not get answered or answered in the way that we want. But help us to go from this place of worship to praise you, God, to thank you, to trust you more deeply and profoundly as your disciples, as your friends, as your servants, as Hannah gave the example. We ask this in your name. Amen. If you're able, please stand as we affirm our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. Saying together, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.